You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Jim Reed, author of Leading to Greatness and former Chief HR Officer at Rogers Communications, an accomplished executive and trusted advisor to seven CEOs. Jim has navigated significant change and immense pressure to build winning teams that outperform competitors. Originally trained as a military pilot, Jim built his expertise working alongside some of the best thinkers on leadership, including Jim Collins, Jeffrey Pfeffer, John Cotter, and Dave Ulrich. Jim's new book, Leading to Greatness combines the best research on high performance with over 30 years of observing what the very best leaders do differently. It provides an actionable, practical playbook for all leaders to take their leadership in work and life to the next level. Jim is also recognized as one of the 50 best executives in Canada by the Globe and Mail's report on Business Magazine. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Jim discuss Jim's personal journey from being a military pilot to working with Jim Collins, to joining Rogers Communications as a CHRO. They discuss the role of a leader in shaping culture and why and how the best leaders are different. They discuss Rogers' culture transformation and key reasons and initiatives that Rogers implemented during that change. And Jim's book, Leading to Greatness, and his coaching work helping leaders perform at their best and strategies on how to prevent burnout. Before diving into today's episode, our team would like to share an observation. That number one challenge in the hybrid and virtual workplaces is building relationships. We all think that people know by default how to build trust, how to sustain strong relationships, but unfortunately that is not always the case. Be sure to check out a sample of our one hour series on building relationships at scalingculture.org and don't forget to rate the podcast. Now on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today from Toronto, Canada, we've got Jim Reed. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Ron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, look, I was really excited. It's been great to get to, to meet you. And, uh, and I, as I would mention, Nick was really excited. He said the one thing he said, look, I got to tell you, you and Jim are going to have a wonderful conversation, get along fabulously. So, so I was pumped. And then I, um, when I was looking at your profile, you know, 10 years at Rogers, you've got an exciting background and then today really kind of moved to author, speaker and coach. And so very diverse. And I love that because it's, you know, um, sometimes, and this is probably not fair, but I, I do, I'm weary about early stage authors, speakers, coaches without building the content without like, where did you get the stuff from? So, and I found there's a lot of meat when someone's had some great experience. So I'm really excited uh, to have you today and dive into some topics. Well, it's great to be here. And I, you know, it's, I think one of the truisms in life is that we are the sum of our experiences. And so I think, you know, I've just been blessed to, I've been in the frying pan with the heat turned up max, you know, I've been with CEOs when the pressure's on and, and, you know, I've seen a lot and learned a lot along the way. And, and uh, I'm, I'm just excited about the next chapter, you know, for me right. and, and, and for helping people, you know, be the best they can be. Yeah. Great. And, you know, it reminds me, we, we had David Ulrich on and I was talking to Dave and I said, you know, I think I made this mistake of, talking to, um, you know, colleagues or whoever it is. And, and I'll say, you know, I feel like it, or this feels like, and I said, that's not based on facts. I should stop doing that. And he actually corrected me and he said, no, that's okay. And he said, depends almost to what we were talking about. He said, if you're early stage and you have no experience, then yeah, that that's no good. But if you have some experience, you've, you've, 
then you're going, you're going on a set of facts from the past. So this feels like the same thing that I've seen over and over again. So that's his fair game. What do you think about that? Does that make sense? hundred percent, hundred percent. And Dave Ulrich is one of the, I think he, he, I consider him to be one of the influences in my life. Wow. And I've met with him a few times and I, I like the way he thinks. Um, you know, he's, he's very clear about how value is created, you know, on the customer side and what the role of the leader is. So yeah, I, I'm a big uh, I'm a big fan of him and and a few others as well, which I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about today. Well, let's let's do that. I mean, look, uh, you had mentioned Jim Collins, and and funny enough, upstairs in my kitchen and just arrived yesterday was B two point and which I just ordered. Which which I I didn't even I just saw the book on Amazon. I'm like I haven't heard of that, and so I ordered it, and I just looked at the back of it this morning, and it looked like early stuff that Jim had wrote that he had dusted off and, and updated. Or am I getting that wrong? Did you know much about yeah, that I, book? I, I don't know too much about that. One of the, I mean, Jim is, I would consider Jim to be a, be my mentor. I mean, he, he, um, I just, you know, sometimes in life you're lucky. And, and I was um, uh, at Stanford university years ago, I was, I'd left the military. I was an officer and a pilot in the military. And I, and you know, the military experience of course made me a, just made me a better person. I learned about how to serve your country and serve others. But I, when I left the military, I went into operations. And then after a few years in operations, the CEO of the company decided to move me into HR and they sent me to Stanford on a course. And I was there with, um, and Jim Collins was on the faculty there. And I just got to know him and we got to be, I'd say, I don't know, friends is the right word, but colleagues. And he then invited me to participate in three of his big research projects, good to great. Then I did a smaller project with him as a critical reader called uh, how the mighty fall. And then I did his the one that just before this one that came out, which was great by choice. And he is, there's a lot of great management thinkers today, Ron, but I think there's only uh, one exceptional one. I think Jim Collins is, is that person. He's, he's curious, he's insightful, he's rigorous. And so I'm just, um, I just, and I, I, I was the practitioner in the field. Yeah. So what did that look like? What when you said involved, walk, walk us through, I'm really curious. Well, well, I, I, I think, you know, he was looking on, on his critical readers. He tried to get people like you and I that are out there in the field, trying to build great companies, trying to win in the marketplace, trying to build great experiences for employees. And so what I liked about my relationship with him was you get the research, you'd see it, and then you try to apply it. Mm. So one of the biggest, the big area that I focused on was, was just leadership and the role that leaders play and setting the tone for performance in companies and shaping culture and driving value to customers, et cetera. So that's really been, I would call it my sweet spot and what I've been trying to determine, you know, over 30 years of career is, you know, what's the difference between a good leader and a great leader? If you're good today, it's just kind of the good to great kind of framework. If you're good today, you know, how do you get better? What do you need to do? Can you learn it? And if you, you know, how do you apply it? And then third, you know, once you get to be a best performing leader, how do you stay there? So, so, so that's really, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I want to unpack that for a second because in first, and I do want to talk about the difference between a good and great leader. And I think your yeah. new book discusses that as well, does it? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. But, but I'm just curious before that, from your perspective, research viewpoint, is that, can you, can we, can you be taught to be a good to great leader or, or is this a DNA thing? What have you seen? Look, I, I, I believe that, um, I believe that it's never too late to learn and grow. Like that's the premise that I start from. 
And, you know, in my own experience, when I went into the military and, and trained to be a pilot, I, I remember when I was on my basic flying training course in Porter's La Prairie, Manitoba, and I showed up and there was 80, 80 people like myself on the course. And it was a, it was a pass or fail. Failure rate was very high, I think like 70%. And I would say 70 of the 80 students were already commercial pilots or had their pilot's license. I had only sat in a plane. I remember calling my dad and saying, dad, it doesn't look good for me. I think I'll be home in a couple of weeks, you know, and, but you know, what I, what, what I determined from that was that if you, if you commit yourself and high performance, I think is a personal choice. If you commit to, to a path of high performance, to learn something, you can get better. And I think that's what, you know, the, the book that I've written called leading to greatness is all about. And there are a set of principles that I believe that the high performing leaders understand and live on a consistent basis um, to make them more successful and consistently successful in life. You know, purpose and values driven. Um, their, their clarity around that and their clarity around their, their deep strengths and their, and, their and their passion in life. Their ability, given that their values and purpose driven and given that they know their value, their, their strengths and passion to consistently make the right people decisions. Their level of engagement is extraordinary and their discipline to drive for results. I think these are the big, for me, five differentiators between what the best of the best do and what those who fall just short do. Mm, that's really interesting. But I want to go back to something you said was personal choice, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I agree. And, I, and I, even though I wouldn't have thought that before, I agree with the statement what do you think stops people from making that personal choice? Because you're right. I think it is a choice. I'm choosing to be great. I'm choosing to continue to learn and, or I'm choosing not to. And, but I feel like as you said it, I'm like, wow, I could categorize a lot of people that are scared to make that choice. Yeah. I, I think in the world, you know, I remember um, uh, getting a call from Jim Collins um, just before good to great was published. Um, and, he was looking for a quote, you know, a quote that captured the essence, right, of the research that was done. And the quote that he eventually used um, was, good is the enemy of great. And I think there's a lot of people settling for, I'm not saying everybody, Ron, but there's a lot of um, uh, mediocrity, right? And I think it's, it, I think people think sometimes that to be, uh, to outperform, you have to work three or four times as hard. That's not true. You just have to work differently. You have to, it may take a little bit more effort, but there's, there's ways to do that, but it's, it's more about not the effort you put in. It's more about, you know, about what you do differently. It's not what leaders do. It's what, it's what the best leaders do differently. That makes the difference in terms of driving long-term value. So that's why I think a lot of this is learnable. You, of course, you have to be motivated and committed but I, but I really, I really, I really believe it. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it happen. Right. I've seen people really up their game. Yeah. And, and have you seen just kind of, um, you know, cause it feels like it's easier to be a better leader, to get from good to great than to even become a leader and become a good leader. Is that, am I right on that? Like to go from, okay, I'm just, I'm not a leader. I need to get to good before I get to great is, the delta from good to great easier than from nothing to good. I think, I think you have to want to lead, right. you know, you have to want to lead. And so I think that 
if you don't have that drive, right, then it's very difficult, right, to to get to good and then to then to you know kind of move on to the next the higher level of leadership. And of course, not everybody wants to to lead, and that's okay. But we all play multiple roles in our life. You know, we're parents, and you know, we lead in those contexts. Where you know, we might coach a sports team. And we're leading in that context. So I I I feel that um, you know, given the multiple roles that we play, that that for people who choose to make more of an impact, this is really what it's about. It's about getting clarity about yourself and what your what your strengths are and your passion is and your values and purpose are and getting that clear and then sticking with it. And I think the clarity allows you to be consistent and authentic, not just in the good times, but, but, you know, most leaders get really tested when times are tough. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. So I think, but I, I'm a big believer that, you know, that's why I say high performance is a personal choice that if you choose that, if you choose to make more of an impact in your life, and um, I've seen lots of people want to do that and coach many of them. I believe it's completely doable. And let's go. You you were starting in military, but I was I want to I don't want, I want to circle back to the book at some point. But but I do want to talk about Rogers and the yeah. you know the almost eleven years you spent there. Yeah, sure. What what what? And maybe we're skipping through a bunch. But what went from military to I want to be involved in the. HR side and the people side, what got you, what was the aha moment for you, Jim? That's today. I want to get involved in that part of the business. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, for me, it's, 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 it's all part of the journey, of course, you know, but in the military, uh, you know, I, I, I loved it. You know, it was, I mentioned serving your country, but I, but you know, you learn how to master a skill. In my case, it was flying uh, helicopters. I ended up being a helicopter pilot. I served in Germany for four and a half years. Um, and, but what I, what I learned was the, the relationship between strengths and passion. You know, I, I've always believed, I, I learned to, I learned to understand that in life, your path to success, your best path to success is to play to your deep strengths and your passion every day. It's, it's, it's when work doesn't feel like work that you can excel. And so for me in the military, I realized that I was really good at flying, but I didn't have the same passion that some of my fellow pilots had, like they would come in in the morning they couldn't wait to get out there and strap, strap into the plane and go. And I became, I was more interested in the leadership dynamics, you know, even though I was a, you know, you're trained to the same standard. So I ended up getting out of the military, went to school, did an MBA, and then I went into operations because it was leadership and leading teams and building teams that really drove me at the time. And, you know, from, from the military into operations, you know, then I started to learn about the role that leaders play. And, and I, could, I started to observe when you had strong leaders, they built strong teams and those teams seemed to perform, outperform consistently. And right. so I was quite curious about what's going on here. And, uh, and then from, an oper- from the operations role, I ran a business. That's when I met Jim Collins when I was down in Stanford. And, um, and, and I started to learn about the, the, the relationship between leaders and culture and how, how leaders think about culture and how they shape culture to drive better customer experience. So, um, and I think at when, and then, and then the CEO of a company moved me from running a business into, into taking on the HR job at a time of pretty explosive growth. The company was about 500 million in size and we grew it to two and a half billion. 
And so I was the, the chief HR officer at the time working with that CEO during that time of, of really uh, uh, big growth expansion and big value creation from a shareholder point of view. So I kind of saw firsthand, you know, how making the right people decisions really helped us. And when we got it wrong, how it hurt us. And I, so I really became even more interested in, you know, kind of Jim Collins principle, which is kind of first who, then what. So if you want to be successful, one of it, it won't guarantee success, but you probably won't have outperformance without getting the, the right people decisions kind of set first. That's, that's interesting. And so can you go to some of the wrong decisions? What was some of the early, wow, we thought two plus two was five and it's four, or, you know, what was some of the wrong decisions when you work with the CEO at, at Rogers? I think when I got to Rogers, first of all, Rogers is a fantastic company. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got scale nationally founded by Ted Rogers, you know, over 60 years ago. And he was, he was always the underdog. You know, I never met Ted. I joined in 2011. He had died a couple of years before that, but his presence even today is still very much felt in the company. And we, one of the things that we tried to do was to take the best of Ted Rogers and kind of lock it into the foundation of the company because of so many of the things that he stood for, you know, in terms of his values and what, why the company existed and the, the you know, the, the drive to win the innovation the, the focus around people um, are, you know, really are the kinds of things I think that winning companies need to have. But when I joined Rogers in 2011, a couple of years after he had passed away, um, it took a couple of years for, for the company to pick the next CEO. And I was hired by Nadir Mohammed, who followed as CEO after Ted. Nadir is a fantastic executive. And he was faced with a company that had lost momentum in the market. And things were beginning to shift. There's technology parity now between the big competitors. Growth had slowed and the customer uh, was taking on more, more prominence. And what, what were the big, I, um, what were the lines back then? It was, it was cell phone, internet, radio. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Lines of business were wireless. You know, the wireless yeah. business was a national business. Cable television and internet was their home phone. And then a big media sports business, right? Were the kind of the big businesses. But it was really the value creation was driven by growth in the wireless business and, and always has been. But I would say that this, um, you know, the, it was, I think Nadir, and I, you know, I was obviously his head of HR, I was partnered with him as well as with the rest of the executive team. But his assessment was, you know, the, the world's changed. It's a different world today. We need to reset. He believed that he needed to reset the top leadership of the company. So, for instance, if teamwork becomes more critical, or a passion for the customer is required because the customer is taking on more prominence in the business. You can't just kind of write those names, those, those comments down on a set of values and put them on the wall and hope that people are going to live by them. You have to actually find people who believe in that because the values in a company, the core values in a company, which is part of the foundation that the company's built on, have to be lived by the people. It's so, not just so words, it's behavior. But when you so say, we like just, this, yeah, I was just going to say, Jim, was that like a focus on, okay, everybody, if you believe you're in, if you don't, you're out. And if you're going to attract you, you need to believe on the way in. Sorry, back to you. Yeah, we, we, what we did was what Nadir did was he, he said to me, uh, look, I think we need, we need to make some changes in the top 200 executives. Like some are, some are great, but, but we don't have what we need. They're good people. They're talented, but they may not be who we need, right? Because different businesses face different issues at different times. 
So the way that he did it was he, he put in place a, a pretty rigorous talent assessment process that he drove himself as the CEO with the board. And the big challenge he offered me when I joined was, you know, can we get a talent review done for the board, you know, in 90 days? And so, so we did. And, and now you start to think about, okay, what's the profile of executive you need, you know, based on the values of the company? Kind of so, so your, you Jim, did you see? start back? Did you go backwards on that? Was it like, okay, we're building this based on these foundational key pieces, innovation? I think you met, mentioned a, a few other. And so the profile or the, um, yeah, the, 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 the uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the analysis of, of individuals was built on that or how did it work? Yeah, I think you start, you have to start with, with, um, with the values of the company, right? In terms of w- w- what does this company stand for and what's, it, and what's the purpose? What's it trying to do? But I think when we, when we looked at the competitive analysis, what we realized was where were we lagging? We were lagging in terms of, you know, Nadir wanted to humanize the company, make, make it a much better place to work for people, have people join and build their careers there and want to stay there. You know, that was one big transformation journey that we set out on. Another one was customer experience. You know, we were getting, we were getting data from the marketplace saying that, you know, at, at that time, um, and, and the bar wasn't that high, you know, this is 10 years ago, companies have really changed in the last decade in terms of customer experience, but we were starting from a place where, you know, we really needed to up our game. And, and in order to, to do both of those things, we think we, 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 in some cases, didn't have the right leaders in place, like right people on the bus, right people, right seat, that would get behind that kind of, uh, that kind of transformation. Mm, so change. what did we do? We, 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 we promoted a whole bunch of people from inside who had it. And in some cases we asked people to leave and brought in skill sets that we didn't have um, in order to, to round out, you know, the top executive team and, and what was driving Nadir at the time. And then the next CEO followed was also a very talented guy, Lawrence, and then Joe Natale followed as well. Um, what, what was driving that was, you know, leaders set the tone for performance. And if you don't get the leaders right, it's very difficult to win on a sustainable basis. So at the core of the business transformation was talent. And right people on the bus, wrong people off the bus, right people, right seats, and building strong teams. That was really the essence, right, of what we went after in order to build a higher performing company. And if you had to describe it before that, how would you describe it? I would say, um, you know, because Ted was so innovative, you know, on technology, he was always ahead of the curve. I think up until the point where growth slowed and there was technology parity, Rogers, um, you know, you know, was one of the first companies that went into cable TV. So it had a, it was always leading, right, in terms of technology advantage. Uh, on wireless, Rogers made, or Ted made a big bet on wireless way before uh, other companies did. He was the first company in Canada to have a network that would support the iPhone. So for the first two or three years when the iPhone came out, if you needed an iPhone, you went to Rogers. So I think, I think if you can lead on technology and always stay ahead, then that's a huge advantage for you. But eventually in this world that we're living in, Ron, you see it all the time. Eventually that, that advantage gets eroded. And you have to compete, right, based on 
you know, the, the, the strength of the culture that you have, the value that you drive to your customers. And, and I, and I just kind of have always believed that there's a value chain, right? That if you, if you create a, if you create a winning culture, strong culture, strong employee experience that drives strong customer experience and that drives strong financial outcomes. And so, you know, I think, I think when you think in terms of that value chain, you know, first two, then what, you know, get, get the culture right, get the right people on the bus. And I know I'm repeating myself, right people, right seats, strong teams, create a winning culture. Culture is how work gets done. Culture is really the execution engine of the company. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And I'm thinking about that transformation because that's a transformation. Sometimes when I hear people talk transformation, I'm like, eh, you went a little left to a little right or whatever it was. <clears throat> that's a transformation. How were you feeling during that time? And how was everybody else feeling? Because new people coming up, some people yeah. leaving, coming in. I mean, that's a, that's a big transformation. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that, you know, the, the, I think companies that, that win over the long term are better at adapting, right. Than others. And, um, you know, at the time, of course, I was just completely energized by this. Right. And a lot of people were like, you know, we, we wanted to win. You know, we, we had this sort of Ted Rogers DNA in us that said, strong drive to win. We wanted to beat the competition. And so we rallied around that, right? It was, it was, it was, it was, for, it was a big rally. That was a North Star. Yeah. 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 Just win in the marketplace. You know, and in doing so, make, you know, give great services that our customers need. And, and in doing so, make Canada a more competitive nation. So right? that I was mean, kind of the. Yeah, you know, no, I, I get it. Like all the outcomes get hit, but <clears throat> I, I'm curious on the message to those who didn't align. What did it sound like? Because I'm sure it wasn't as direct as luck. We're heading to the North Star. We're trying to win, Jim. And, and unfortunately, off you go. How did, how did you? How was the message to the individual in some cases? I know it's a bit great. Yeah. And how was that message to the team, to the broader team? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I, I saw the same, the same, I've been through this once a couple of times before, you know, before I got to Rogers, I was at a life sciences company. We were scaling for growth where we didn't have the, the, the horsepower, the talent that we needed to drive, you know, from 500 million to two and a half billion. Right. So. So we did, we, we took a different strategy there. We grew a lot by acquisition and we acquired talent, kept the people who we thought were a good fit for us. Uh, I then worked for a private equity, uh, bought uh, a global manufacturing company. And I, and I was the head of HR working with a PE company um, to improve the company. In this case, it was, they wanted to improve it and sell it, right? And, and for me, I learned a lot working with uh, the private equity company that bought the company and these guys are so focused on short-term, when I say short-term value creation, but like they understand what drives value. And one of the things I loved about working with them was there's zero confusion on what you needed to do as a management team. And they believed in fewer, bigger priorities. Mm-hmm. Like focused. you never got, got drowned in too much stuff, right? But it's all about focus. And, and so all of that kind of prepared me, uh, prepared me for, for, for the, for the change, which was at a bigger operating scale at Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so, you know, was that the only transformation over those 10 years with Rogers? Was there other big pivotal moments based on senior leader changing? Sure. I think, I think, I think the, 
I think the other big uh, changes, and of course, you know, Rogers and and uh, we had the same issue in the company I was at before, a global manufacturing company. Um, the other big change, I think, that lots of so there's the, there's the talent agenda transformation that we just talked about. There was also um, a massive uh, uh, rebuilding of customer value and customer experience and. You know, for a lot of companies, um, they were thinking about customer experience more from the cost of delivery, you know, versus the end-to-end impact, right? You know, you could you could have a a low-cost call center, but if you're if you're go to and if the call center metrics were bad, it, it may not have anything. It may have it may have to do with your go-to-market strategy, you know, how complicated your value proposition is, right? So. So thinking end to end, you know, and, and, and many companies had to do this to think about, okay, what are all the things that touch the customer and how do we simplify it and, and kind of make it, make it more consistent and repeatable. So that was a big change for us. And, and a big part of a sub transformation in that was the whole digital re- revolution. You know, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you make it easy for customers to do business with you? you know, so the whole online you know, uh, buy flows, you know, a customer being able to go online with you and transact, like look at Amazon today, right? So it's such a fantastic example. Look at how Air Canada changed right? from, you know, years ago when you'd wait for hours on to talk to an agent and now you can transact, you know, in three minutes online. It's, it's unbelievable. And people expect that. So that was another big one too. And so let's fast forward to the, the book because it, it sounds like you've, taken all kinds of experience, plus uh, some experience with working with one of the greatest, Jim Collins, and and put it into this book, Leading to Greatness. And so if there was one message, is there, or is there a message? If someone's to read that and come away with one point or a few key points, what are they? And then I want to dive into the content a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think the, um, the, the book is about, is about leader. It's really a book about leadership in life. And for anybody that wants to step up their game and make more of an impact. Um, it kind of lays a, it's a step-by-step guide to build a customized development plan. And it starts with my belief that it's never too late to learn and grow. And a lot of people that I'm coaching Ron are looking for the big breakthrough. And my experience has been that they're, they're well, that, although that sometimes happen, it doesn't happen most often. It's usually, piecing together a number of small changes that really make a big difference, right? And so, um, and and the book brings together the best research on high performance with 30 years of observing what the best leaders do differently and kind of rolls it into a set of five timeless principles that if understood and learned will get you to a better place. And and so, and what's, what's underpinning that? It's all about the leader being having clarity, like real clarity about who they are, what they stand for, how they build teams, um, you, you know, uh, their own level of engagement in order to engage others and bringing a, 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 bringing a discipline, you know, to what they do every day. And so what I've found is that most, this is, I don't, it's a bit of a generalization, but the the top 
performing leaders are consistently successful because of the clarity and insight they have about themselves. Right. So, this, so when this, you say clarity and insight, you mean I'm self-aware of what I'm good at, what I'm not good at? Yeah. Is it self-awareness? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. So when I ask um, a top leader, top performing leader to, to, to explain to me what their personal values and purpose in life is, they just give it back to me right. in 40 seconds, right? Yeah, that's, I've really thought a lot about this and I'm still working on it, but you know, here are my, here's, here's what I stand for in terms of my values and beliefs and what drives my behavior. And I'm not always perfect, but this is what I'm, what I, what I'm committed to. And, um, and this is how I make decisions. And then on purpose, you know, what I want to do is, you know, help people grow and develop. I want to build a great business. I want to whatever. Right. But they, but they've got it right on strengths and passion. They, I, I believe that on the assembly line of life, we can be good at a lot of things, but we, we're, we're given certain strengths that you can excel at. You can't excel at everything. So these top performing leaders have discovered what their DNA says they can be the best at. And they play to those strengths consistently all the time. On passion, they understand when they get up in the morning, the kind of work that, that they love to do. And I, I appreciate that about you and what you do and, and your passion for what you do, but they get up in the morning and they're on a mission, right? And, and, and they love what they do. Like they feel like they're in their warehouse, wheelhouse. So I think that's clarity, right? And when I'm coaching leaders who don't have clarity, what I try to do is help them get clarity. So there's a lot of people out there who are, I'll call it winging it, you know, like they're sort of clear. They sort of got it, but they don't have it. So I'll give you an example. So when, when, when you go to a top performing leader and say to them, hey, listen, there's this great job that's just come up. It's a marketing and business development job. And uh, we'd like to offer that to you. And it's going to be, we're going to move you from you know, Toronto to New York. And you know, we see this as a big opportunity. They'll say to you, they'll say, well, thank you for considering me. That's great. You know, I love the company. I love what I do, but I, that's not me. You need to go talk to Ron. That's Ron. Ron's strengths, deep strengths, and his passion are marketing and business development. That's him. I'm I'm this. So yeah. I think, does that make sense to you? I think that's what I see, right, when I'm coaching. And, and clarity of values, purpose, clarity of strengths, passion allows you then to build a great team. Because oh, you're so clear, you're so clear. Now you can hire people who are complementary to yourself. And then if you have a framework around, which is what a lot of these leaders have, you know, what is a, what is a high performance team? What are the elements of a high performance team, you know, over and above its membership, then you can really start to shape and, and get this team, you know, to, to drive the kind of synergy, you know, like one plus one equals, equals four, right. That kind of, uh, that kind of performance lift. Look, this makes perfect sense. And I, and I love it. I'm curious during your coaching for individuals that are trying to get clarity, what are some of the questions you're asking? How do you, you know, how do you guide someone to that? Cause I feel like there's going to be a lot of people listening. They're like, ah, that's where I'm stuck. Yeah. Right? What does it look like, so, Jim? How do you guide someone to that? Is there a key so question I use, I, process? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great question, Ron. I, I mean, one of the, one of the best coaching tools, I talk about this in the book um, that I've used is, is the strategy framework from, uh, from, from, uh, from good to great. Like it, it was, it was the framework that we used in good to great around, how do the how do the good how do the good to great transition companies think about company strategy? And it had three circles, and you had to get the goal was get to the intersection of three circles. 
Circle one is what does your DNA say you can be the best in the world at? Circle two was what are you passionate about? And now this is from a business perspective, right? And circle three was what's your, what drives your economic engine? So when I saw that framework, right away, I'm thinking, okay, this works for a company. It's got to work for a person. Like Ron, you have a life strategy. I have a life strategy. So I took, we took the three circle framework and we turned it to an individual. Like circle one is now, what does your DNA say uh, that you can be the best of the world at? What are your, what do you, it's not what you're good at. It's a higher test. What are your deep strengths, right? Mm. Circle two is passion beyond. Just, and sorry, and Jim, that's why you say can be the best in the world at. That's a deep strength. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, um, we can be good at a lot of things. It goes back to good as the enemy of great. You know, it's about mediocrity. But you have to discover. And, and the coaching tips that I use when I'm coaching people is I say, okay, I want you to go back and, and here's the three circle framework. Fill it out. Circle three, by the way, is make a living at the individual level, right? So it's mm. deep strengths, passion, and make a living. I have to check all three boxes. I say, go away and think about your greatest success, the greatest successes you've had in your life. And in that greatest success, what's, what strengths have you drawn on? What passion did you feel, right? And how are you making a living? It's really circles one and two, circles Ooh, three is make a living. Yeah. And so you, the lens you look through is your greatest success. And you pull from that, those two or three successes, you write it down. And then what I encourage people to do is go find someone you trust that's got your back, that, that wants you to be, that revels in your success. Like they're happy for your success and ask this, say, listen, I've been doing this work. I want to get some clarity because I understand that playing to my strengths and passion is my, is my path for my best, best self. And this is what I've, this is what I've come up with. This, this, do, do you see me this way? And, 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 and I think, you know, over time, you iterate it a few times so that, you know, at the end of the day, I always say it has to fit like your, your favorite piece of clothing, right? It has to just fit perfectly. Yes, this is me. But, and, and I love this. I, I want to get clarity around the halfway point, which is, hey, Ron, go back to a point when you were crushing it, when you were doing something yeah. you absolutely loved and walk me through again. So how did I, how do I figure out the DNA passion? And then of course the, the, the economic piece. Yeah. So, piece? so the lens, the lens you want to look through is, is your, you know, what are the times in your career or your life? Like you know, most people I'm coaching are trying to get, they're stuck, right? They're, right? they're not sure if they're in the right job, even sometimes in the right company. Right. So, um, and, and, and they're doing, they don't know what to do about it. So where I go back is go back to the fundamentals, which is like, okay, how clear are you on your deep strengths and, and passion? And, and, and the, the lens is their personal success. Three to five, write down three to five. Best moments of your life. Success, yeah. Successful moments. Got it. Big successes, right? And then, and then here's the question. What strengths did you draw on? Right? What are the things you really drew on to contribute to that success. Uh, and secondly, um, you know, what passion were you following? Right. Why, why did you, why were you so, why, why do you feel so positively about that? What was the work that you were doing that you loved so much? Right. And this is one of the issues, Ron, where people get, um, they, they sometimes get their strengths, right. But, 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 you know, they, they may be doing, they may be doing analytical work when they really love being, you know, working by themselves more individually. Some people love that too, but if you don't love that and you'd rather be part of a team, 
then it's very difficult to, you know, to tick off both those boxes, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I was trying to work through this in real time. You know, I was thinking back. So I'm, I'm in a real estate company called Vita. And in last June, we did a significantly large transaction. It was just, we bought a thousand units from TELUS Master Pension Trust, your old competitor, maybe. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) Um, And it was a, it was a $90 million transaction. And to me that I was just thinking very quickly of, you know, a last moment that, that came to mind. And I wrote down the getting that done for me was calculated risk relationships and then change in growth. Those are the three things I just wrote down quickly. Yeah. And great examples. Right. And, and, and when you're like, if you look at the data um, that's out there from Gallup and other, you know, it's, it's some of the data is pretty scary. Like, you know, where it says like less than 40% of people are, are using their strengths at work every day. You know, when you think about the great resignation and all these things, this is what's, I think, part of what's contributed. It's, it's part of the fatigue of the pandemic. People are less tolerant, but they're also, they're starting to say, well, hang on a second. Like, I got to get this right. And most people kind of fall into their first opportunity. When, I, when, you, when you describe that success that you had, right, then you start to say, okay, well, why, was, why did I feel so excited about that? And, and I think, Again, I think the way to get to deep strengths is by doing just what you did. And you say, what's the, what's the success? What strengths did I draw on? And what was the work I was doing that I was so passionate about, right? And that mm-hmm. becomes your path, right? To your, to your, to your best self. Well, sense. you know, it's funny <clears throat> as you're saying this, because we do a thing called task mapping in the company. And this is in line with what you're talking about, Jim. It's getting people, it's, you know, it's, we were doing this. Then I also heard, you know, Marcus Buckingham talking a lot about this in theory, which was getting people to enjoy what they do, right? This is the same thing you're saying. And I think that this is even more challenging in in, in non-leadership roles, I'm going to call it. I I believe everyone's a leader in in some respects, but in non-leadership roles. And so we always say, hey, go through the task and does it give or drain your energy? But what I was thinking about what I like about the simplicity of yours versus even what we're doing is there's, and, and maybe it's a check and balance of both systems is I think it allows someone to cut through the noise quickly uh, and get to a place that they had excited feelings about versus waiting and journaling, almost what I've talked about. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and it's funny, we were doing an interview uh, earlier today for, a, for a, a role in the company. I think this is a great interview question. Yeah. Like yeah, it yeah. feels like a really good interview question to say, okay, Jim, what is, what's your, what is your passion? And then what skills did you like, let's get to your deep skills here because quite frankly, I have a hard time getting there with people and, 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 yeah. and, and I, and I have a hard time because they have a hard time. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think you're right. And I think this was one of the big uh, ahas for me in, in coaching executives, right. Where, where the top performers, they just had, so much more clarity and, and insight, you know? So exactly what you're saying, Ron. And, and I, I think, um, you know, I only ask three interview questions when I ask, when I interview executives, right? The first question is talk to me about the shaping. What are the shaping experiences in your life? Like I've read your resume, you've got a fantastic resume, right? You've got great experience, but I wanna know from them, what are the shaping experiences in their life? What made you who you are today as a leader? And I'm looking for their values. Right. I'm, I want them. I'm looking for people to say, well, first of all, my parents were immigrants. 
right? They came over to Canada, they're second generation. They believed in hard work. They set that tone in the house. Like I'm looking for mm. what's the inside out driver, right? Second question is um, complete the three, complete the three, complete this three circles framework. I explain it to them, right? The goal is to get to the intersection. There's deep strengths, passion, and, and make a living. Tell me your story. What are your deep strengths? Three to give me three to five, and you know I want to know your passion in life beyond you know your family and your friends. What work? What when you get up in the morning? What fuels you? What do you love to do? When does work not feel like work for you? Right? Because I'm trying to pin what I'm trying to match them to the job I'm recruiting for. If that makes that. any sense to you. No, yeah. no, I love it. I'm just making notes. This is fabulous. Is there a third? I think for your two. Well, the other one is make a living. I, I always, you know, for me, yeah, that's like tough. I'm, How do you, yeah, I'm curious about that one. Yeah. Like make a living for me is important when you're starting out your career. So, you know, for, for a lot of the people in university that are trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to go? Where, where am I going to work? You know, I always say to people, you know, when you're early in your career, pick, pick the company and ideally a growth industry because growth creates opportunities, right. For people, uh, growing businesses, you know, you can build a career in a growing business and later in your career, I say, pick the manager, mm-hmm. right. So, because later in your career, you want to hook on to, you know, top talent, right. Because they're going to stretch you. They're going to develop you. They understand the importance of, of building team and building, building, building talent. And they'll really, they'll really, cha- they'll be your sponsor. They'll champion you, right. They'll push you. Yeah. I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. I love this. This is fabulous. And um, I think that a lot of these, you know, not only can be applied when someone's stuck, but a yeah. lot of this I think is applied to your point. Uh, use it right in the interview to really find that connection before it's too late in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. I feel like these are great guidance for how to get there because I, again, I'll say most people don't know they haven't been asked these questions. Right. Yeah. And they haven't yeah, exactly. been able to think about them. And in, and in some cases, someone, you know, I can, I picture a world where, especially with the younger generation that you'd ask a question, you might have to give them 24 hours, to come back and, and, and really think about that and then come back to you. Are, are you finding that? Do some people, Nate, like, yeah. you know, the confident people that, you know, to your point, what's your passion purpose? And, and look, yeah. I feel like I can rhyme that stuff off very quickly. Others are going to to really be thoughtful. Like I would have had to be thoughtful 15 years ago. Yeah, I think that's true. Now, I think with young people, they're, they're just hungry, right? They, they, they want to be successful. They want to make a difference. And they, they generally, like for them, you know, values and purpose-driven companies and leaders are, are so much more important than when I started my career. Like they're looking for that. They expect that. But they also, um, like I did this exercise, the, this three circles framework exercise with some graduates from uh, uh, people, are, university students are graduating. And I said, you know, I think there's 25 of them in, uh, in this workshop I did. And I said, um, if you complete this three circles framework, I'll, I'll interview you. Like, come and see me and I'll like, let's spend some time together. 20 of the 25 people completed it and sent it like within 48 hours, right? Like, I mean, and, and some needed more help than others, Ron, but what, what it said to me was, wow, this is so, uh, this is so inspiring these young people, they really want to get it right. You know, like right. much, much more than I wasn't asking these questions when I was younger, nobody was really, was really helping me. I kind of figured it out as I, as I, as I went, but um, so I, yeah, I think there's, I, I think that's the whole, the thing about, about um, this book that I wrote. It's, it's, it's more about 
look, if, if you want to, if you want to go for it, then there's a, there's a, there's a playbook here, right? A, a step-by-step guide to help you get yourself organized and focused. Love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like a very timely and impactful book. Uh, Jim, what else, what else are you working on? What else are you talking about, thinking about that we haven't discussed today? Well, I think, I think, you know, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic, Ron, about, you know, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, two years in the pandemic, um, people are tired, a little bit weary. Um, I'm really, I'm really interested in, and in, I've been doing some research, I touch on it a little bit in the book around burnout, you know, and what is it that's causing burnout. And, um, so, you know, part of my theory is if you, if you, if you, if you get clarity and one way to avoid burnout is to, you know, get up every day and do work that you love to do and work with people you like and respect where there's trust and, and safety and, and you can make it, you can build a career, right? Like, you know, I think when you love what you do, it's harder to burn out, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in the relationship between stress and, and recovery. Oh, I thought you were going somewhere else. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because it, it, like, it's a little bit like you can take a lot of stress, but if, if, if it's, it's cumulative, right? So if you don't recover, if you don't have recovery time built into you, to your life and what are the rituals that allow you to recharge? Mm. And that's what I, that's what I see top talent doing differently. Like they're very disciplined, right? About like they're, they understand that they have to be at their peak performance when they need to be. So they, they don't, they, they don't put them, they're all, they're a little bit like a smartphone, right? It performs really well during the day, but only if you plug it in the night before, like they get it, right? They, right. they understand. Yeah. No, look at that. I, I mean, look on that topic, it has taken me so long, 42 now. And if I had have even thought like that versus, you know, when yeah. I, in my early twenties <laughs> and like how yeah, important yeah. a good night's sleep is and yeah. you know, now, yeah, now, truth. Now, now my wife's like, you have all these, what is it, the word quirks, quirks, whatever, right? I'm like, these are not yeah. quirks. These are to make sure I don't <laughs> melt and fall apart. And I'm That's like, right. I can't eat that for dinner tonight because I have a speaking thing tomorrow. I have a meeting tomorrow. I'm not, I can't have coffee after 12. She's like, what? This is weird. I'm like, no, this is, this is, <laughs> these are, no, the, yeah, these are high performance rituals that you're doing. You, right. have, to re, you have to relabel it with her. No, you know, That's right. High performance ritual. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what I thought, where I thought you were going, and I'm curious your, your thought on this. We, we had a call this afternoon. We were talking to a group uh, out of California about the masterclass and talking to a large insurance company. So we've got a, a masterclass that falls along in, in scaling culture. There's eight modules. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, and I would love to hear your thoughts. On this, I think some of the burnout, I, there is this, I think there's a component you're talking about for sure. But I also believe that we've taken for granted because, and I'm jumping around a little bit here, Jim, but, but you are seeing that some individuals are saying, you know, I don't want to go back to the office. And I'm not saying going back or not going back is right or wrong, but I think we're taking for granted the amount of energy driven through sense of belonging and that the sense of belonging is very difficult to do 24 seven like this. And so my thought is that, you know, I'm not suggesting that companies, um, you know, make policy around work or when you shouldn't work. We're, we're completely flexible. But what I'm trying to do as a leader is overlap that with, with training on how to build relationships and then intentional actions on how to do that to maintain that, make sure that we deepen those relationships. It can't just be this. 
What do you think about that? Is that playing a part in burnout? Did that come up? I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's, I think you're bang on. I, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, the, a lot of the debate around um, the pandemic and remote work is, is kind of around, you know, the either or you're either in the office or you're remote. You know, I, I think quite, I think the, the best productivity balance is both. It's an and not an or, and I agree with you. I think that you, you trust gets built through relationships and it's very difficult to get a real feel for people, right? When you're, when you're virtual and on teams calls or zoom calls, you know, or whatever they are all day long, that there's something powerful about bringing people together and creating that common experience. So I I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that, and I think high performing companies are, are have already figured this out and they're going to strike that right balance. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I I, yeah. I hope, and I think it's a big piece that everybody needs to be thinking about. There's not one answer, too. but I, yeah. you know, the the common thing is is, and this was a discussion this afternoon was, it you know, and and it came up actually with um, uh, we had the senior executive uh, from diversity inclusion, um, Chris uh, Laurie, on um, on the podcast from Ford, and they do training with senior leaders on how to listen and and. At first I was like, what? That sounds silly. I'm like, oh my God, of course. Like that isn't, yeah. that is such a taken for granted skill that is so important. Like I've never walked into an organization where they trained you how to listen properly. It's just be a good listener, be a good listener. It's a theory. There's no how to, yeah. right? And so I'd say the same thing on relationship building. There is no, we haven't been taught the how to. It's just, you know, okay, be good to people, be kind, blah, 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 fine. How do you do it? What, what is it? What does the interaction look like? And so I think companies need to start looking at really deep listening and this strategy and spending time training individuals. I hate to use the word training, but educating them on how to do it as well as building the relationships. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you. You know, the most powerful training we did with our leaders as part of our sort of cultural transformation and, and I did, this is, this is in multiple companies I worked at was we, and I, I believe, I believe this to be to be true is that you know leader the coaching training that they have out there today um, is very powerful it's a life skill right it's way beyond a work skill and i i had you know one of my i think dna strengths is my ability to to coach and it's it ties back to the to, to the listing and the relationships that you were just talking about ron right but I can tell you that the training that I did to become a certified coach through uh, the International Coaching Federation, it, it really uh, sharpened my skill set around listening, around building accountability, helping people get accountable for an outcome, around you know asking questions versus getting answers, and uh, and and you empower people through it right now it doesn't work in every situation but in most situations even as a parent or as a partner right. it's powerful yeah i, I yeah. couldn't agree more yeah yeah well jim i have to say this has been an incredible conversation and i was just you know i was just thinking about you and your life and and it feels like there's been some incredible chapters it was the chapter of service and thank you very much for that to your country and then a chapter of learning and leadership. And now I feel like you're in the legacy give back chapter and it sounds like it may yeah. be the most impactful one yet. 
Yeah, I think it will be run. And and by the way, thank you for for having me on today. And, and congratulations to you for your every time you do these podcasts, you 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 help make make the world a, a little better. And that's a great We're purpose. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Well, thank you, Jim. Uh, I appreciate it. And it's been great to get to know you, my friend. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in Toronto because I'll be up there over the next few months. And I'll certainly uh, I'll, I'll get your mobile when we get off. And I'd love to connect. I'll look forward to that. Take care. Thanks, Jim. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to rate the podcast and leave us a review. For more information about Jim, his book, Leading to Greatness, or his coaching work, please follow him on LinkedIn. To check out a sample of our one-hour series on building relationships, head over to scalingculture.org. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please share with others. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.